We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Here's Butker. For 45 yards. All the way. It's good. Cooley's with me, uh, and we will do the two games together. Ben Standing's going to jump on for 10 minutes or so and talk about the report from Ian Rappaport yesterday that Eric Bieniemy is a target for Washington uh, for their OC position. Um, so uh, you just told me it's negative 20 out in Powell, Wyoming. <laughs> No, it's warmed up quite a bit. It's negative three right now, so it's, it's very nice. Oh, it feels wow. like a mild spring day. Actually, I'm, Terrible. Lo- I'm looking at negative eight right now on my weather app for you because, you know, I've got you on my weather app. I've got Powell, Wyoming. Negative eight, and it looks like perhaps go- – did it start the day at negative 21, or is it going down to negative 21 yeah. tonight? No, it, it started the day at negative 21. Mm. That stinks. And no snow. It, it doesn't look like you're getting any no, snow. It, it, it snowed over the weekend. It did a lot? It did. It, it snowed a couple inches here. We actually went up to Red Lodge, Montana for the weekend. We had a B, VRBO with some people, and we were going to take the kids skiing yesterday. But the high yesterday in Red Lodge was like two. <laughs> That's not very much fun to go ski, but it snowed two feet there. Oh, did That's it really? miles away. How many miles? 40. And it snowed two feet in Red Lodge, Montana? And it's 40, it's 40 minutes away. Wow. But it's hilarious because it's like you have – I have a diesel truck. You have it, If you don't have it plugged in or whatever, then it takes forever. You can't start your truck. It's like I had to jump my truck for 30 minutes to get out of Red Lodge, Montana. Oh, my God. Driving down the highway, it's like two trucks that are gelled up. The fuel filter gets gelled up. It's not, I mean, you just, it's funny because you get a few of these days every year, and it's not every day. I think by Saturday, it's going to be 45 degrees here. Hmm. But you just get, you get a few of these days, and you just walk outside, and your nose hairs freeze up in there, and you just hate it. Oh, I hate it. So you went all the way up there with the intention of skiing, but it was just too cold for the kids to ski. Yeah, so we just hung out. And did it snow the two feet while you were there or before you got there? It snowed while everyone was there, yeah. 
Wow. Did you go to the Bull and Bear Saloon and Restaurant, downtown Red Lodge? Mm-mm. No? No. Because I'm looking at a picture like of downtown Red Oh, you've been there? I like the Bull and Bear. I've been to every single... <laughs> Red Lodge isn't very far. We actually go to Red Lodge often. Oh, you do? Okay. They have some good restaurants and some cool places to eat, and it's kind of on the trip that... If I take people in the summer, when you come here in the summer, you yep. take a trip through the Beartooth Mountains, and then you kind of circle through Red Lodge and back down towards Tyler Cody, and it's a fun trip. It's a cool little town, yeah, and it's well, a it's a decent little ski town. I mean, the resort you would the people that ski out there, it's, it's a it's a better resort than a lot of the you know Virginia type resorts, at least as far as terrain goes. Right. I'm looking at a. Anyway. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of downtown Red Lodge, Montana, and there's a big old sign crossing the street saying, coming annual 4th of July barbecue. So I bet 4th of July, pretty fun holiday to hang out in Red Lodge. I've done the fireworks in Red Lodge before. It is a fun little town. It's a, it's a fun little party town in the summer. With two feet of snow in, in the negative temperatures, do they still clear it pretty quickly? Well, yeah, they they do, but like I'm in Cody, Wyoming right now, and and Pal and Cody, like I haven't seen the actual road, the the blacktop in two months. Is because it's just it's, the got, snow. The, yeah. the roads stay snow covered. That's mm. eh, kind of nice. Then it probably gets pretty old pretty quickly. Uh, well, uh, it, this is the, this is the time. This is the, this is what the third winter that we stayed the winter here. Yeah. By Feb one, you're like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> we're doing, we're actually going to St. Lucia next week. Well, that's nice. And so and, we're going to take nine days to or eight days in St. Lucia. So, I mean, part of the, part of the, the lure of living here is that I'm not going to be here for at least 10 days in February. Well, plus you spent Christmas in Florida. Yeah, we did Christmas in Florida, so I mean we've had some warm weather. Yeah. The thing is, though, honestly, Kev, it's if it's thirty-two degrees and and the wind hasn't blown very much this year. If it's thirty-two, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-two up, anything above that, it's fine. Wear a sweatshirt. It, it's not a it's not coat weather. Right. It's arid climate. So if you get into the thirties and it's sunny outside, you're doing whatever you want outside. I'll tell you what it isn't there today. It's not sunny in 57, which is which it is here today. I mean, I know, you're we, right. I, I, I told you, we have not really had winter. I mean, apparently we could get a dusting of snow this week, maybe a dusting of snow late in the week, um, and it's going to be really cold over the weekend. But other than Christmas weekend, it really has been... I think the mildest winter I can ever remember, and the winter with the least. Uh, we have not had yet in the DMV an inch of snow yet. In fact, it's barely even fallen from the sky. Like the the day uh, Christmas Eve was the the morning where this the cold front came through and it dropped literally into like the high single digits by Christmas morning and it came through with a bunch of snow showers. That was that was it. That's been it. Actually, that was the Friday, my fault. That was the Friday before Christmas Eve. So that was December 23rd. And it just hasn't even been that cold. 
I'm actually, you know me, I love storms and I love winter storms and I love snow, but if it's not, if I'm not going to have that, I prefer it to be like it is today, 57 and sunny. Because that's nice weather. Yeah. No, like I want a winter storm and snow once a month, and then I want it to be 70 the rest of the time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. All right, let's get into these games. I think we should start with the last game last night. And I know that you, you know, didn't watch the games taking copious notes like you typically um, will do. I took a lot of notes maybe for us. I think the first thing that I want to say about the Chiefs win over Cincinnati is that on Friday you said, I think Steve Spagnuolo needs to really dial up some pressure. I think he will. He's creative that way. And they're gonna they're gonna get after Burrow like Burrow hasn't been you know gotten after in a while, and that is going to be a, a key factor in the game. Burrow was sacked five times for the game, three times on the first two drives, as Cincinnati went punt punt, and then they picked him off with pressure on the fourth possession of the first half. So that was number one, um, giving you uh, some credit for really calling out what Kansas City needed to do and what ultimately they did do. It didn't stop Burrow from having a big day or Cincinnati scoring, but ultimately the Bengals scored 20 points, which wasn't enough. And their punts in the first half and their turnovers ended up being massive, and a lot of them were Chris Jones and Kansas City pressure. But really the biggest takeaway for me, is just kind of the conversation about Burrow and Allen and Mahomes and throwing all of them you want. Mahomes is at the top of the list, and it's not a debate. Patrick Mahomes yesterday was the star of the football Sunday on basically one ankle, making one big play after another and carrying his team that couldn't run the football to save their life, lost three receivers during the game, to the Super Bowl. He was phenomenal. It was one of his signature performances. He's amazing. He's so tough. And it's funny because it's like it doesn't it does matter if it's Travis Kelsey. If he loses Travis Kelsey, they're they're in trouble. But it Kelsey. doesn't matter if it's Smith Schuster or if it's Valdez Scantling or if it's Moore or whoever, just give him dudes. Give him dudes that are good that have some speed. He'll put it on them. He'll find them. He'll create. He, he's he's so good at that. Uh, it, it's just like we talked about. <laughs> you have to stop Kelsey. And there they, he, they didn't. The touchdown, the touchdown that he threw uh, on fourth fourth down from like the fifteen yard line. When he threw it to him, I'm like, oh my god, he's open again. It's unbelievable. I mean, you know, he wasn't as dominant as he was last week, but he still, you know, he still ended up with seven catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets. Probably seven first downs or, or, or a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, he is unbelievable. And, it, look, Kansas City won the game on defense. I mean, they made enough plays, and Mahomes was terrific, and, but if you can't score twenty points, more than twenty points, you can't not beat the Chiefs. Yeah, it kind of comes down to that. 
Uh, you know, uh, like I really do think the early portion of the game, you know, in, in games where you've got, you know, good offensive teams that are going to drive the ball, you're basically going to end up with somewhere around 10 to, you know, 10 or 11 drives in the game. Cincinnati basically had 10 drives in the game and they were only able to produce four scores. They turned it over twice and in the game, uh, so they, they punted four times. And that's not good enough against Kansas City. So I did think Burrow got into a rhythm. I think when they tied the game at 13-13 early in the third quarter, I really thought they were going to win the game um, because it just it, Kansas City's receivers were dropping like flies. They couldn't run the football. It looked like they had adjusted to some of the pass rush, had started to protect him better. Um, but, you know, Mahomes did too much. I mean, I, I – I, I think there there were just I mean we'll get to the the officiating here which everybody's blaming. Well, be, I mean before we get to the officiating, yeah. like how close were you to getting the overtime that you predicted? Pretty close. I mean without a fifteen yard you know unnecessary I mean, unbelievably roughness. Unbelievably close. And I mean again before the officiating, like Kansas City had a chance to go for it on fourth down, and they end up punting it back to Burrow with what two twenty yep. something like two twenty. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, wow. Andy Reid just took it out of the hands of his offense and gave Joe Burrow an opportunity with 220 left. It was four- and they came up big. They had the grounding, the pressure. They came up huge, that defense did on that last drive, to turn them over, to get the ball back. Yeah, I mean, so l- let me go through a, a, a couple things almost chronologically. First of all, the sacks early, no scores for Cincinnati on their first two drives, getting an interception on the fourth drive. I think that was a big deal as it turns out in this game. Ultimately, you know, it it contributed significantly to Cincinnati only being able to score 20 points. But I think in the first half – the opportunity for Kansas City, and, and look, I, I I picked Kansas City. I I had Kansas City in the smell test as my only smell test pick for the weekend. When they picked off Burrow at thirteen to three and had the ball at the Cincinnati thirty-nine yard line, and Cincinnati held them to three and out, no yards, so there wasn't a field goal. There wasn't a touchdown, and I thought with that interception, I really did think it was going to be over. And I know that KC led Cincinnati last year in the AFC title game, twenty-one to three. But I thought we were going to see twenty to three, worst case sixteen to three at halftime. They get this stop, and then they get a field goal. The Bengals do coming back the other way, which was massive. Um, but to me, in the second half after Cincinnati tied it. Mahomes was at his best on that drive that made it 20 to 13. Um, the the third and seven that came up short to Valdez Scantling that they challenged and got, which I was surprised by. I thought they would move the spot. I didn't think that they would actually give him a first down. But third and 10, that touchdown pass to Valdez Scantling, when he is pressured where the guard is getting thrown back into his lap, he is on one ankle, and he moves right, and he looks off Kelsey, who's triple covered on that play, and he throws, I think, one of the best throws we have seen all season long on third and 10 at the Cincinnati 20-yard line to Valdez Scantling for a touchdown. And that was a that was a wow moment, a wow moment. 
You thought they were going to be held to, to a field goal. Instead, it's 20-13. to 13. They get the ball back, and then he has that inexplicable fumble um, and couldn't fall on it because he, you could tell he was just not nimble enough to fall on it. Cincinnati ties it, and then you had that, that sequence where uh, KC got that extra down, that extra third down. Um, were you that was wa- so weird. So you know what happened, right, where they got the extra opportunity? The, 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 cl- the play clock was running after an incomplete pass, and the back judge came in trying to stop the play, but nobody heard him. They ran the play. They get stopped short of a first down. It clearly looks as if we are going to, you know, see bo- a punt. Both the punt and the punt return team are out on the field. And then you get uh, Ron Torbert saying that the play was called dead before. I, I, apparently that's the rule. But I think after they ran that play with nobody knowing the play was supposed to be stopped, they should have just gone back and fixed the clock and had him punt on fourth down. <laughs> pissed if you're Cincinnati. Oh. That is the rule. That is the rule. It's embarrassing that they let it go on as long as they did. They didn't score on that drive, though. Blo- whistles, whistles should have been blowing throughout that entire play. It was amazing that it right, didn't. Like if, I'm not, if I'm not back judge, I am just blasting that whistle the entire time. Just blasting it. <laughs> yeah, there was no indication like, watching the game. Arm, yeah. Blast and whistle. Like he just, they knew he stopped it, but like they panic. Like, oh, well, they're playing here. We'll stop it when it's over. And then he got a text from his wife. And he's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, guys, guys, guys. Hold on. Hold on for a second. And I blew the play dead. Yeah. Remember I blew that last play dead? <laughs> it's important to know. She had a, she had a flat. Get a flat tire up there on I eighty. No, we. I had to check it. I fucking, who knows what he's doing? I think I seventy goes through Kansas City. Like, who knows where his wife was? I mean, maybe she's up by Chicago. <laughs> well, she could have been. She could have been further north. But I, re, I, I, re, I did the drive I seventy, um, St. Louis to Kansas City. It's a straight shot on I seventy. I'm pretty sure I seventy is yeah, Kansas City. I mean, uh, maybe she, maybe she was, she uh, maybe she was somewhere in between eighty and seventy. I, I don't. know. Maybe she's stuck in Iowa. Uh, <laughs> I mean, why didn't she just call AAA instead of trying to texting her husband when he was calling? She it? didn't. She he told her, "Babe, this is a three hour game," and she didn't understand why the game went over three hours. Like, I thought you would be done by now. I didn't want to bother you, <laughs> but I need help. God, how many times have we all heard that? I thought it would be over by oh, now. Right. Isn't it over yet? You said you said three hours. You said yeah, the game. It's a playoff game. And I, I know that we've talked about these games normally taking three hours, but this one took three hours and 40 minutes. So I'm still out here working, honey. You know, you know what my wife has been able to figure out over the years? Is when she's you know she'll walk in and she'll say when is the game going to be over and then I'll say well there are there are five minutes left in the game. She years ago she would say so in five minutes and I'd say yeah something like that. Yeah. But she has certainly learned over the years that five minutes can actually mean thirty to forty five minutes, especially if it's at the end of the fourth quarter and it's a close game. 
could easily mean another well, we 30 two, to 45 minutes. We got two minutes. challenges late. We get into the two-minute situation. Now, now the booth challenges. Game could go to a overtime. Lot can a lot can happen. A lot can happen. Game could go to overtime. It is It is true, though. I, I'm sure a lot of people have dealt with that. When is it going to be over? Well, look, it's there's three three minutes left in the game. Just we'll, I'll, I'll be there shortly. But no, nah. yeah. if you've been, like, if you probably in the next probably, probably in the next half hour. If you've been <laughs> if you've been together long enough, they know what three minutes on the clock means. And by the way, in almost any sport, like she knows three minutes in basketball can actually move much faster. But then again, she's like she'll know that there could be also, especially if it's an NBA game, like six timeouts before the end. In an NFL game, you know, she she knows it could go to overtime if it's close. Um, so I see the thing is, is like even if my wife knows and sort of understands that, and I say, I don't know, probably thirty minutes, she still says, "Well, there's three minutes left in the game." <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I always underestimate time, so I'm always in trouble. Like, but, well, I don't know, probably fifteen minutes. 20 minutes by like you said you'd be done 15 minutes (laughs) it's important to note though that Kansas City on that play on that weird play did not score they ended up punting the football um and the next drive was the interception which almost acted like a punt for Burrow Uh, look I'm very surprised that Cincinnati in a tie football game had the ball twice after scoring on their you know touchdowns on two of their first three drives, I'm shocked that they didn't drive the football down the field. I thought my wager on Kansas City um, at twenty to twenty on both occasions, including what where you talked about, you know, the it was an interesting uh, call by Zach Taylor. He had the option to take the holding penalty, which would have made it fourth and twenty, third and twenty-two. But he, but he declined the penalty, fourth and eight at the Cincinnati 37, and Butker apparently could not kick a 54-55 yard field goal in that brutal cold in that direction, and they didn't go for it. They didn't go for it. For you know, third and 22, he could have gotten 18, and they may have been in field goal range. Or with Mahomes, they may have picked it up because Kelsey may have been wide open. But when they yeah, punted I mean, it, they could, have, they could have went for it in that situation. When they punted it, and even though it went to the six yard line, I think the five or six yard line, I was convinced. I was like, "This is done." I'm this like, Joe, done. "Yeah," because because why? Because Joe Burrow, like Mahomes, is that guy. He's gonna in in the third and sixteen after the grounding penalty that he completed to Hurst. I'm like, "It's over." They get the ball at the 35-yard line. They've got timeouts left. There's just no way. And Chris Jones made really what turned out to be, I think, the play of the game on that third and eight, the sack. I mean, he was dominant in the game. Absolutely dominant. So massive. But just go back to the third, what, the 16? It was third and 16? Yeah. Third and 18? Third and 16 to Hurst. Are you kidding me? How are we giving this up? Like, how are you? Because I, had, by the way, I had Kansas City in the under, like we talked about yeah. on Friday, yeah, which winner. was turned out to be winner winner. I think it was like plus two thirty, plus two forty. Nice. Um, but uh, third and sixteen, how are we giving this up? It wasn't like a dink that Hurst broke nine tackles on. Uh, no, it was Come just on, guys. was that was that a, it looked like a blown coverage. It looked like a blown coverage or 
It looked like Travis Kelsey just getting over. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Chris Jones makes that huge play. The cra- the crazy one, and you're going to get to it. So I'll let you get to it. Is, is the other side, the other side of the ball with the, with the personal foul. I, I don't think it's debatable. I, I, I think ninety five percent of the time we're watching football. That's a clear that's a clear unnecessary roughness. I think the extension of the arms by Joseph Asai was the key. I think if they you know, in that spot in that game, um if it had been contact and he'd gone down, but it was him chasing Mahomes and just not being able to stop his momentum, that would have been one thing. But when he extended his arms and sure, you know, there's no doubt Mahomes flails around on the ground and really exaggerates, but I don't even think he needed the exaggeration. I, 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 if, the, if it hadn't been called, if they had let it go, I don't think I would have been that upset. But that's a 95% of the time call, I, I, in my opinion, it is. And it's a shame because Asai had such a good game. And Kansas City, still with eight seconds to go, had another play. It was first down, no timeouts. But they could have figured out something to the sideline. I mean, Kelsey may have been wide open on the sideline. Or Mahomes could have rolled out and scrambled for another, you know, five yards. And they could have tried a field goal. They weren't going to try it from 59. We know that. They would have run another play. Um, But I thought it was a good call. What would you think? I think First of all, they both went into the fucking bench. Like, yeah. To the bench. The long ways. Like, it's an obvious call. And it's just the way penalties are called is if, and I agree, I agree with this. I, uh, to some extent, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in this debate in my mind is do we call a penalty in that situation in the game? But that penalty is called on the first play of the, the first game of the year. That's a call. 100%. Well, then it's, it's, that's, that's the call all year. And it's unfair to change the call in that situation. I hate. I don't like that that play changed the game. If that makes any sense, I don't think it's fair that that play changes the game. Asai knows he did it. Like, is he is his knee even hurt, or is he just laying there like, oh my god, why did I just do that? I, like my knees hurt. Oh, I I, I, <laughs> I had to push him to keep my balance. Now I'm hurt. Yeah. I felt bad for Asai, and he he clearly felt terrible and. He knew he did it. And Mahomes is two yards out of bounds. He didn't need to shove him. But I'm more amazed, even even still, than you talk about the call. You can talk about when it should be called. It's the right call. I'm just like always amazed at the lack of situational awareness in critical critical situations with professional athletes. Like, what are you going to do? Make the field goal a yard shorter? Like he obviously declared himself out of bounds. What are we preventing here? A yard less of a kick? Like, and you knew that he just didn't. He lost a complete train of thought and complete track of where he was, and he made a boneheaded mistake. Yeah. And I hate that in critical situations. It's it's like, guys, God, could we just talk about before the play or sometime in the week or any like in a critical situation? We cannot cannot take a fifteen yard penalty. It's unacceptable. We cannot take it. No. I killed him. Get out mean, and you're, you're right. Maybe the Chiefs get four to the sideline and they can attempt a 55-yarder. I don't know. But in that situation, seriously, uh, he's, what, what amazes me is the, the mistake that was made. Not that it was called. I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about should we let 
penalties like that go later in games. Pass interferences go later in games. Should we let him play a little bit more in those situations? And I'm not. That's tough. That that call that is it 100% called. That is called on against Josh Johnson in Week One. It was obvious. <laughs> we'll get to Josh Johnson in a moment. I. I mean, he's got both feet in the white with uh, the uh, one of his feet about to land on the sideline. Running dirt. sideways. I mean, it's going out of bounds, declaring it, himself out, trying to trying to stop the clock. It's an extension of the of the arms that did it. You know, Zabe, we, we're in a group text with with a bunch of people, and Zabe texted um, the following. He just said, "Wrong call. Period. Roughing penalties are a million shades of gray and require discretion." Mahomes is trucking. Get the bench. Mahomes is trucking for yardage and a size in full pursuit, a forearm and a flop, and he gifts the Chiefs gifts the Chiefs the game wrong in all counts. Um, he you know he, he claims he retracts his landing gear immediately, throws football, flails arms. This can never be rewarded in sports. He, th- this is the wrong the wrong penalty for that um, argument, in my opinion. I mean, I think that there are definite times in which, you know, a quarterback is sometimes trying to bait, you know, the late hit and is, is straddling that sideline and yeah, barely yeah. has a foot. That This was not the case. He was getting the first down. He was clearly out of bounds, but he had already taken two steps out of bounds and was about to take his third step when a, a size contact and extended arm you know, knocks him nearly into the bench. And uh, it's just, look, this was a poorly officiated game, as was the first one. There were a lot of questionable calls. I thought the call on Apple was a bad call. Um, I I thought that they probably missed a roughing the passer on Burrow, um, you know, on one of those final two drives uh, that would have gotten called during the course of the season. Or let me just say that would have been called 50% of the time during the regular season. But that final play gets called 95% of the time during the regular season and the playoffs. It, it just it just isn't that debatable. And ultimately for me on this first game, Mahomes and Chris Jones were absolute stars in this game. Kansas City outgained Cincinnati. They were 50% on third down against Cincinnati. They committed fewer mistakes than Cincinnati. And I think going back to your spags is got to dial up some pressure because that will be the difference maker in this game. He dialed up a lot of pressure, and even if Cincinnati adjusted to it, it took him out of three drives in their four attempts, basically, or in their five attempts in the first half. We, they were out of scoring 27 or 30, and they, you got a score to beat the Chiefs. And, and they had six at halftime because of the pressure that was on. Um, uh, yeah. and, and Chris Jones, by the way, did you know that he did not have one playoff sack in his career before yesterday, as good of a player as he's been? Um, and then I thought, by the way, also Valdez Scantling was outstanding given that – Tony and Hardman and Smith Schuster were all out, and that's actually the key for Kansas City in the Super Bowl. We'll get to that. Now they decided, and, and thank God for that. They decided that they were going to triple Kelsey after the touchdown. But <laughs> yeah, still triple and double. It doesn't matter. It. Still ended up with seven for seventy-eight on eight targets. Um, Mahomes was incredible. Last thing on the, on the yeah. he was last thing on the last penalty. One Mahomes isn't even looking. He, like he is out of. He's not even expecting this hit. No. And on the idea of a flop, dude, I'm—I don't like 
personal fouls called. I didn't like personal fouls called when I played. I don't like some of the roughing the passer stuff at all. But if I'm taking first, if I'm going out to the sideline in that situation, you throw me to the bench. I'm standing up yelling, "What? What the fudge?" It wasn't a flop. He shoved him into the bench. Like, I'm getting, I'm getting up that way as someone who hates that call. Like, what are we doing here? He wasn't baiting it. He wasn't expecting it. He got slammed into the sideline of the bench. He, that's, I mean, it's obvious. In that moment, it's not just a yard. You're not just trying to get the yard. You're pissed. What are you doing? It's a dumb play. I think it was a fitting ending for Kansas City to win the game. Uh, I think that with you, I'm, they outplayed them. Cincinnati battled back, but the fitting ended, and it, yeah, probably, probably on the swing of four to five calls out of the way against Cincinnati, that the Chiefs got some benefit. But did it change the game completely? I, every Bengals fan and anyone arguing could make it. I still think Kansas City outplayed them. I thought it was, I thought it was a, a really good game. I mean, not you know, classic by any stretch of the imagination. Flawed at times. Mahomes not healthy. I just thought Mahomes was spectacular. And I, look, I think Burrow's so good too. I mean, I'm a big Burrow fan. He had some big time throws. The the fourth and the the first play of the fourth quarter when they went for the fourth and six at the Kansas City 41. That throw to Jamar Chase is just total stones. Um, Oh my God. Uh, th- these are two really good football teams, but Mahomes is at a different level from the rest of these guys. I, I mean, I want to make my opinion clear on that. I think that these quarterbacks, some of these young quarterbacks in the AFC, are going to be spectacular for years to come. And I'm not down on Josh Allen because of the turnovers and because they got their ass kicked by Cincinnati uh, last week. I'm I'm not down on him, and I don't think there's a lot of difference between Burrow and Allen and even Herbert from for that matter. We we may feel the same way soon about Trevor Lawrence, but Mahomes is different. He's special. Oh, I, I also wanted to. I can't believe I forgot. In the first half, the hook and lateral play from a- that Andy Reid dialed up on third and long, it didn't get there because it was a bad pitch by Kelsey. But then he dialed up another one, and Kelsey didn't pitch it because I think the, the defender was waiting for it. But I've always kind of thought that the hook and lateral, the hitch and pitch, whatever you want to call it, that it's only used for you know kind of late in the half, late in the game to try to, you know, uh, that it could be used in the first quarter or in the third quarter more effectively, especially, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, especially against zone coverage. Because when you throw the ball short of the sticks against zone coverage, the defense all allows that catch, and then they all rally, they all converge to the ball. And I, I think on third and super longs, third and 12, third and 14s, this could be an effective play more often, although you know defenses will start to get you know the hang of it. But to have that running back trailing as the defense converges on the tight end or the wide receiver who catches it, and then a quick pitch, and you've got yourself a big play and a move the sticks, if not more. And I just—it's typical Andy Reid stuff. Just he—he's so creative, and he doesn't care where he tries some of that stuff. And uh, and I love some of that stuff. And Mahomes and, and t- yeah, go ahead. I was just saying he tries it for a reason. He knows where it, where it has its place and where it's going to work. I like to. 
it, it's better with soft coverage because you know you're getting the hook. So on a third and longer, you have a, a more more of an expectation that you're going to get the hook. Right. You know you can get the hook. Like if I felt like I knew I could get the hook, I, I'd like to start a game that way. <laughs> Especially on a lower level, like a high school level. If you have somebody you know you can get the hook to, if you have a softer zone team, gosh, it's fun. And it's planned. So, like, the pitch isn't that scary pitch around play. It's a planned and orchestrated deal. And then the other one, I'm, oh, like the second one, I'm sitting there wondering, they run one. Did they have a plan after they run one to go fake pitch? Yeah, it looked like that pitch, that one was covered a little bit, and he made the decision not to do it, it because they didn't get the did. first down on that. But a lot of times you have that plan in is, yeah. now we'll go fake pitch, and, and it's third and, third and 13, but if we get the fake pitch, we can get the extra five yards after the fake with the guy that originally caught the ball. The thing is, is third and longs, you've got to be more creative unless unless you've got Mahomes and Kelsey and they're they're creative anyway. Or, you know, you, you've got situations where you really do have the ability to protect long enough on longer developing patterns and have guys that will get open beyond the sticks and a quarterback who can make the throw. Because two-thirds of the teams, three-fourths of the teams in this league are pretty much dead on third and 14 or longer. And you're what just are you talking about like what do you Scott Turner seven man protects three man downfield <laughs> routes are great, but a lot of the a lot of creativity on shorter throws to try to get it that's one way. Um, I, I I'm with you. It, the one thing that you do need to have though, if you want to have a lot of creativity, is you do need at least an element in there that you could get it over the top. Or you could get the third and twenty, right? To spread it out, you do need that. You do need that element where you go. All right, they can't get downfield at all on third and seventeen. So don't give up the gimmick in the checkdown. You got to, and, and Kansas City has that element, so they can do it. Now Kansas City has the screen element where they're so good with some of the screen stuff. That, yep, you got to play them fairly honest. Third and fourteen, third and twenty, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, I've we've seen more creative stuff. We've seen it from Kyle. We've seen, uh, you know, Brock Purdy had. Well, no, it wasn't Purdy. It was Debo, I think, in a game a few weeks ago on a third and. It was against Washington. It was against Washington right, where they was. came down the line and then they tried to. They, they it was a handoff to I think Debo. Well, Debo didn't play in that game. Uh, it may have been to McLeod, and McLeod tried to pitch it, or Jennings tried to pitch it. Um, but in Washington, stopped it. They actually stopped the play. But it was kind of a third and long in the red zone, and it was one of those plays that, where they tried to pick up the first down with uh, with that pitch. By the way, um, it, <laughs> way back in the day, Norv Turner would use Brian Mitchell in the backfield where they would pitch it to be Mitch, you'd have a receiver then that would come with B. Mitch or a running back, and B. Mitch was running the option after taking the pitch from the quarterback. Sometimes no, it would be... You're talking to somebody who wants to run like 27 creative plays a game, if you, if you could. 
I have a, a full binder full of full of trick plays. All right. Well, let's like the 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 movie with Adam Sandler, The Water Boy, where the coach loses his his trick play notebook and can't win. <laughs> um, okay, we can move on. To let, trick plays. Let, I'll do this. I will do trick plays with you all day. Uh, we can do trick plays as a show one day, and you can open up that notebook and share some of them with me. Um, all right, let's get to the Philly San Francisco game where the Forty ers uh, could have had all the tricks in the world, uh, but they didn't have a quarterback, which was the big problem. We'll get to that game right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Just an absolutely remarkable catch. Not only to stick up that right hand, he's clearly in great body control. Philly's going fast, but he was definitely in bounds. Well, a huge catch by Devontae Smith, and it turns out it looks like the Eagles got away with one. Let's bring in Mike Pereira. Mike, looking at all these different angles, what do you think? Well, he's clearly going to the ground, Kevin. Ball hits the ground. He's got to maintain control, but you see him lose control there. Had that been challenged, it would have been overturned to an incomplete pass. Fourth down and three, Devontae Smith didn't catch the football. 
No challenge from Kyle Shanahan. Nothing from New York, as we've seen all year, to quickly tell the referees that's not a catch to overrule it on the field so Shanahan doesn't have to use his challenge flag. He didn't. Devontae Smith got up, was signaling like crazy. Clearly, he knew he didn't catch it. That would have been a clue for me to throw the challenge flag. Philly scored. Next drive, Brock Purdy knocked out of the game. Fumble. Um, and Philadelphia with uh, basically facing a team that could not throw the forward pass uh, for much of the second half of the game, rolled 31-7. I do just want to start with that quick play uh, because I have a general overall thought on the game. But I thought Fox's coverage of the game wasn't great. They missed the punt that hit the wire. We never saw a replay of that until like after the referees had made a decision on it. And I actually think if you slow it down, you can see where the ball completely changes trajectory. But you didn't have a a, 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 high, a, a, a replay on the Devontae Smith catch by Fox. Um if you're Kyle Shanahan, when you see Devontae Smith get up and say, let's go, let's go, let's go, don't you have to throw the challenge flag, even if nobody from upstairs is telling you to throw it? If you saw him, especially since it's a fourth and three, it's not third and three. Right. I mean, it's the first half. You don't want to give away a challenge if you don't have to give away a challenge. But they should have seen that in the booth. And to your point, though, Greg Olson calling the game had no clue that it wasn't a spectacular catch until they came back from break. Right. So, we, we, yeah, I don't know if it got re- if the booth had the angle if it was shown to them. It's not the easiest one to just know and see with what Devontae Smith is doing because he's all the way down to what the seven yard line. Yeah. So it's not in front of one of your sidelines. Your coaches don't see it. You're, you, I mean, your sideline and coach's box only extends to the 30. So it doesn't make it the easiest play to just challenge. I'm wondering what they got in that box upstairs. You know, what looks they got out of it in the first 30 seconds. It was obviously a drop. It would, I mean, it would have been clearly overturned. But... I'm wondering if anybody said, if they had gotten the angle before Philly gotten on the ball. I think one of the interesting thing, things about this play, too, is that usually when it's obvious, the defenders, the 49er defensive players, will be screaming, overturn it, overturn it, overturn it. And I'm looking at this play again because I haven't watched it again, but my memory, and I, I wrote this down, is that the 49er players didn't react. You know, Devontae Smith, who is, by the way, a player who's just not very demonstrative by nature, he's the one that reacted on the play. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I know. I mean, actually, you know what? I'm looking at it right now. Hufanga, the safety, did immediately say, no, 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 that hit the ground. But as Smith is going, let's go, let's go, let's go, it doesn't look like, at least from the TV camera, they go right to the replay, which you can't see. Well, he celebrated the catch first. Yeah, but Hufanga, the safety, does immediately say, nope, hit the ground, hit the ground. He was the, he was in position to see it. He was the one that saw it. Yeah, the other I, I stand corrected on this. Kyle Shanahan got direction from his team. 
he got direction from his team that that ball – now, it wasn't like they weren't going nuts, but that, along with Devontae Smith's reaction, should have been enough for Kyle to throw the flag, in my opinion. With that reaction and then with the Eagles hurrying up to it, the other side of this is I realize you don't want to waste the challenge, but you just gave up a big-time play, a momentum-type play, uh, on a fourth-down situation. Now they're hurried up. You get a chance to get your defense set on the other side. If you lose the challenge, you still get the timeout. It's not a terrible spot for a timeout. Yeah. Yeah. In the second, if it's if it's early third quarter, you're sitting there going. Obviously, based on score and situation of game, you're going. Do I want to burn a timeout here? But in that situation, timeout costs you nothing. It's not a big deal to take the time out there. Yeah, we we didn't get from Fox the should have challenged, should have challenged it. Plus, it's a plus. Like I said, it's not a third and three no, where you're bringing right. them into a fourth and three situation. It's, it, I mean, it's turnover on downs. That's a critical critical mistake by Kyle. It's your ball at the thirty five yard line in a scoreless game. Right. I mean, we 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 are in agreement, right? That it would have been a no brainer that it would have been overturned. No brainer. Yeah, and I mean, and then you go to the fact that if he does challenge it, it's over hurt, overturned. Now Purdy never gets hurt because that play never comes up. <laughs> yeah, well, and they probably win the game. They they probably win the game, something like twenty seven, twenty four. Yeah, so that that was it. Well, let me just. On. I want to start with this. My belief after watching San Francisco's defense in the first half, like even after the Brock Purdy injury and fumble. Um, on the sack by Hassan Reddick, that if Brock Purdy didn't get injured, San Francisco would have won the game. I know that that is, you know, a big leap, but San Francisco's defense in the first half was awesome. Awesome. Philadelphia scored, uh, you know, off the fourth and three, which shouldn't have been a play. Then after the fumble, they had it at the you know uh, at the, their own that midfield couldn't you know three and out. Next drive was four and out. The drive after that was three and out minus four yards. And then after McCaffrey's incredible touchdown run evened up the game. I even thought at that point, Cooley, when it was seven to seven, I'm like, this is going to be a hell of a football game because it's going to be all about San Francisco's defense and they're going to Kyle's going to figure out a way for Josh Allen to get the ball into McCaffrey's hands 30 times in this game. Cuz McCaffrey that was the McCaffrey drive. And that touchdown that was run was caught, unbelievable. That was like the third down where he caught the little option route underneath and converted and Yeah. You know, this is where Josh this is Josh Allen's Johnson's element and Yeah. Um, but Philadelphia. I'm looking back to Tennessee from five years ago with Jay's game plan with Josh Johnson. I'm right. Like, well, I mean, he could do it. Right. They because almost they, beat and, Tennessee. And that defense being great, it's like they can stay in this game, but they're going to need to. They need to play smart, and and they didn't. And the game, and then you know, he turns it over, and then the game's over when he turns it over right before the half. So I so let me I want to get to that in a second. But before I say that, I, I I did think that the 49ers would have won the game after watching San Francisco's defense against Philadelphia in the first four drives of the game. Um, that's number one. Number two is this: for those people, and I saw a lot of this. Um, for those people that think this, you know, that that kind of just said, "See, Kyle Shanahan for all the genius talk." Can't get them, you know, can't win a Super Bowl with them. 
If anybody thinks yesterday's game is on Kyle Shanahan, even though we just talked about the challenge flag, and there are a couple of other things I'm going to mention. They did not have, they were starting their third string quarterback, they went to their fourth string quarterback, and then they didn't have a quarterback for almost a half. If you don't have a quarterback that can throw the forward pass, you cannot win an NFL game. You can win a high school game. You know, you might be able to win a college game depending on the opponent, you know, and if you practice the triple option enough. But they did, I mean, give me a fucking but that's, break. But that's the perfect point. I, that's, the, that's the perfect point because I have a, one of my buddies is a 49ers fan, and I've heard this like three or four times throughout the days. The 49ers really should have just went to McCaffrey and ran that wildcat. Agreed. Well, when the fuck did they practice running the wildcat? Uh, but I kind of agree with that. Uh, when it was clear but that Purdy. Was that but, but my point is, but my not point with Josh is when Johnson. was that installed? But when was wildcat installed with McCaffrey <laughs> taking every snap? Yeah, I know. You know, when did we start to execute that run game plan? How many run plays do we have out of that game plan? You can't just go wildcat and go every single down wildcat. And when you do that, Philly's going to put 11 guys up tight. McCaffrey's going to have to throw it on field a couple times. There was no implement of that game plan. So that's not – I mean, yes. If you knew that that was going to be the situation, you had one quarterback going into the game, you said, okay, if it gets to McCaffrey, and I know that there was a thought. Trust me, I I know Kyle. I, I've been in those room meeting rooms. I've been in the practice. So like I know that there were a couple plays, and and there was an idea that if we had to go to McCaffrey, but that was not the game plan. And it's not easy just to go. Let's <laughs> play an entirely different offense. Right. The second quarter. Here we go. It is unrealistic. Yeah, I um. I did now, think hindsight they probably could have ran four four wildcat plays and been better off. But I mean, yeah, they well, weren't going to win it. They weren't. They yeah. weren't going to win the game that way. I think, but but they couldn't win the game with Purdy in there going ten on eleven without the threat of a pass, and he couldn't throw the football. That's when I think. I, that's when I was as I was watching it. I'm like, well, why don't they just put McCaffrey in there? At least you're eleven and eleven on eleven in the run game. You're not going to throw the ball with Purdy. He let's can't go, throw it. Further, let's go further down this. Let's go further down this. Okay. Because at least Purdy knows what run checks we're going to. When we have a can or a kill or something, based on the front and the look, like McCaffrey didn't go through the quarterback meetings to go, okay, now when they're in this 33 even front, if that D tackle shades down out of the even front just a little bit, then right. we want to go the other way. Okay. Like all those run checks that Kyle goes through, and all the different movements and motions where he's changing things to safety down on this this formation and personnel grouping versus three tech versus this formation and movement. And I mean, maybe McCaffrey did, maybe he did know them, but my guess is Purdy can at least get him into the run checks that they want in, and we got to run the ball. It's hard. That's a good answer. That's a really good answer because I was sitting there going. I'd rather have what Mike used to always say, we're 11-11 and 11 on the running game with Robert as a run threat. That is a massive advantage for a team. And it it no, sure is. But and knowing Purdy he, could not the other throw. The guy's got to know the cadence, the calls, the checks. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But, 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 but I mean, Purdy literally. Like, he's just going to go down set, hut, 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 hut. We I mean, got three hooks this time, boys. <laughs> I might throw it. You can run here, you can run how here. About just, here. Yeah, how about just run everything on one? They did try. McCaffrey did throw one ball. But that's terrific. But do you know how hard it is to run everything on one against a good defense? I know. 
So let's you go. You can't just run everything on one. So let's this go back to the first half. Says he practices his cadences. Let's go back to the really first tough. half. All I'm saying is really tough. Go back to the first half. So when McCaffrey scored on that touchdown run with Josh Johnson in the game, I did think this was going to be a ball game, that we were going to see the so 40, 49ers have a chance. And then and then came the penalty drive with three defensive penalties, a third and seven uh, DPI against Ward, uh, a second and ten illegal use of hands against uh, the guy McGill, um, and then you had the, the second nine against Ward illegal contact. So three penalties on that drive. Philadelphia goes down the field, 14 plays, whatever it was, seven minutes of time, and it was a hell of an answer. Let me just say this. I did not have a problem with any of those calls defensively. I thought that they all on replay looked like penalties we see called during the regular season. Like this, they were hurtful penalties. And by the way, just so everybody knows, those of you that were tweeting me about, you're just a Shanahan guy, whatever. I had Philadelphia yesterday, okay? And I picked Philadelphia on the show. So I was kind of happy that Purdy got knocked out and Josh Johnson was in the game. But I also thought that we were going to see a game, and I didn't think any of those calls against the 49ers were ripoff calls. But I think the key after Philadelphia scored was they get a um, they they get a good throw. They decide to go for it with a throw to I think it was Debo for like 10 or 11, 12 yards, something like that. And then it's like, oh, okay, because before that drive, I don't know what you were thinking. I thought you're getting the ball to start the second half. You've got Josh Johnson, who has not looked comfortable yet. I mean, it was a McCaffrey drive on your touchdown drive. Take the ball to start the third quarter down 14-7 and be able to use McCaffrey and everybody the way you want to use them. Plus, you'll have a half with with Johnson to get him ready. Or maybe, and I was thinking, maybe Purdy will be okay by the second half. Um they threw the ball, they're out to the 35-36 yard line, and then Josh Johnson takes a perfect snap, drops it, and then can't recover a fumble right at his feet. And that's the ball game right there. That's it. Because Philly scored, and that and that's the ball game. You're not coming back down two touchdowns with Josh Johnson. Not two. You needed to win no, with Josh Johnson a 20-17 to kind of a game. You know, 17-14 kind of a game. Um, you're making the right call. You're absolutely 100% right. Uh, you put Kyle Shanahan in that situation again, he'll do the exact same thing. He believes in his guys. He has uber confidence in what he's doing. The expectation isn't we can't fumble here. The expectation is we're going to still execute. I see that in Kyle. I see the confidence in Kyle. I love that. His players love that. That's why they are the team that they are. It's just that situation's really tough. And honestly, I, I feel bad for Kyle to some extent because – to win a game with your fourth quarterback, which they still had a chance to do, is uh, would be unbelievable. I don't think they beat the Houston Texans after Josh Johnson goes out of that game. No. It's near impossible to win a football game without a quarterback. <laughs> yes. In pro football, it is impossible. So it doesn't, like, they played him closer than the score really was. But once Johnson's out of the game, it's it's over. But the end of that first it was half, probably over at twenty-one-seven. Yeah, it no, was, he should. You're right. They should have just run the ball. Uh, no, but, but 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 when he to, went to the locker room. But when he completed the first pass, I think then they should have I gone know. for it because and then it would have looked. The thing is, good. is like you're you're 
you're, yeah, you're not expecting that your quarterback drops the freaking snap. I know. I mean, Maybe it, he does it, a pitch or does something dumb, but no one drops the snap. It was a perfect snap. By the way, Reddick recovered that too. He was awesome in the game. Why were they trying to block him with backup tight ends and wide receivers? That was a mistake, I think. I don't know. By the way, I I loved Reddick when he came out in the draft. It's just so funny that Arizona couldn't find a use for the guy. Unbelievable. Like, oh my God, he's an undersized defensive end. Let's try to play him inside a linebacker. Let's try to have him as a move guy. Now, how about just do what Philly does and just rush his ass off the edge and create havoc? Oh, no, that's a good idea. Sounds good. Good job, Arizona. Way to go. Way to lose its star player. Um. And during the first half, I just wanted to mention, I, I can't remember a first quarter with more things happening like the first quarter, which lasted 50 minutes. You first had, you know, the Devontae Smith, you know, catch, not catch, no challenge. You had the Purdy getting his elbow snapped in half pretty much and, and, and Reddick, you know, recovering the fumble. Josh Johnson's in the game. Um, then you had... Um, uh, by the way, Josh Johnson got sacked on like his first drop back by Reddick, and Reddick I thought took the ball from him. I thought that was a fumble. I, I thought mean, he did too. I, I was I surprised. Did too. Yeah. Then Bosa gets hurt standing out of bounds on a punt. He gets spiked and he's bleeding through his sock. You get a punt that hits the the, the camera wire. I mean everything. I mean the, the, what happened in the first quarter of that game was insane. I just think, you know, at 21-7, it was over. I felt good about it. But I'll tell you what, with Josh Johnson still in the game and that defense still out there, I still thought, you know, Philadelphia better be careful. They better not give him short fields. They better not turn it over. They better not let Bosa start wrecking this game or Warner wrecking the game. And I'll tell you that the, the call that was absolutely ridiculous was um, at 21-7, I, look, I think the 49ers got the short end of the whistle, and I think the Bengals got the short end of the whistle. Yeah, I, I no don't, doubt. I don't think it mattered at all in the San Francisco game because they didn't have a quarterback for m- most of the half, and the quarterback they did have for the other portion of the game was their fourth-string quarterback. Um, but the roughing the punter penalty was a terrible call. Uh, he got he beat his man badly and then clearly got blocked into the punter and I was shocked that Olsen and Burkhart who I actually think they do a pretty decent job and Pereira didn't it didn't call that like it was so obvious he was blocked into the punter um but Philadelphia went down on that drive and scored a touchdown 28-7 um and it was you know it was over um Look, Philadelphia, I do think if Brock Purdy stays healthy after watching San Francisco's defense early in that game, I I think the 49ers may have won that game. It certainly would have been a great game. And maybe Philadelphia would have responded more if they needed to do more because they really didn't need to do that much. Um, I wanted to mention that their quarterback sneak formation where they basically, you know, get into a scrum and they surround with two players, Jalen Hurts, and with his strength, you know, they go for it, is really like the best quarterback sneak formation we've seen. And it reminds me, and you're not going to know anything about this, but some of our listeners will. Back in the day, did have you ever heard of electric football? It's when you would put stick the you know the football into your runner's hands and you would put two guys behind I had, him. And, I had that game and everybody in front of him and then you turn it on and they just. Zzzz. I mean that's the bunch scrum formation in electric football and Jalen Hurts can't be stopped on that. Um, 
that was one thing I, I wanted to mention. The other thing I wanted to mention was just that um, Hertz doesn't look 100%, but man, when he went to work as a runner late in that game, when he didn't really have to, I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, what did I tell you? I said he needed 50-plus yards rushing in the game. He ended up having 11 carries for 39 yards. Um, and I thought he would be the key. I, I mean, that was assuming San Francisco had quarterbacks to play. Um, but I don't know why he was – What did I tell you? He needed, he needed 150 off script, which would be interesting what he came up with. He came up with 30-some on the throw that was not a completion but was. Right. Um I I don't know why he was putting himself at so much risk there at the end of the game um, when he's not a hundred percent when they were dominating he's the, the footballer. Yeah, I know, and I and I really do like him. I, I like him a lot. Um, and then the other thing that I was going to mention about this game. Uh, Here, you think about it. Oh, oh I just tell you this. This is what sucked. Yeah. It just turned into a. That what was going to be an amazing game turned into just blah. <laughs> it's like, what a game we have in front of us here. The early ticket. I mean, this is going to be awesome. Turns into, I'm not watching the second half. Yeah, it was. I hate uh, that. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's my my thing. You you've got to reinstitute the designated third string quarterback, emergency quarterback. And by the way, just at least in the playoffs. By the way, at least let's. Why not just have all fifty-three active on Sundays? I don't really. No idea. I mean, and and no and, idea. And and make it mandatory that one of those extra seven that are up is a third quarterback, because NFL games can't be NFL games without quarterbacks in them. And you didn't. You ha, you played almost an entire half with San Francisco in an NFC Championship game, not having a quarterback. So, but coach, we got new rules to protect the quarterback. We should be fine. <laughs> We've got all these rules, and hey, if you're only going to have two quarterbacks dressed, that's on you. No, just activate all fifty-three and have. An, I, I never understood that. I just I don't. I never understood why the practice squad can't be fuck, can't be twenty-two guys. I, what do we not want to pay the extra three million dollars a year to have ten extra practice squad guys? I know. It, well, I mean, all we're doing is giving more guys an opportunity to play in the NFL, and a lot of those guys that didn't get evaluated in the proper way to go to teams, I don't get that. I, what, why can't we have a full special teams unit so our starters don't have to play special teams? We're afraid of the cost, or what do we? I mean, it's not making the game unfair. It's making the game more safe, by the way, to have guys play just special teams. And then if you had to, they could step up. But, yeah, 53 should be easy. Yeah. What does it matter if there's 60 dudes in pads on the sideline? Yeah. Um, Doesn't seem to hurt college football, does it? No. I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, guaranteed – uh, you know, additional payment, whatever, whatever. Oh, it is. the pension it's, plan. It's, You're right. The pension plan. God, I'm going to get so much money when I turn sixty. <laughs> um. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Kansas City opened at circa at minus two, and now pretty much everywhere. 
Um, and, and pretty much opened up as the game opened up as a pick in a lot of spots. Um, but uh, we now have Philadelphia minus one and a half, minus two in the game. I like Kansas City if they're healthy. Well, we got to presume Patrick Mahomes' health is 100% for this game. So if we do presume it, how are we going to break this game down? <laughs> no, you got, you got your wish. You got it at 65%. What do you think he was? What do you think, what do you think Mahomes was yesterday? It was a realistic. It was a realistic expectation. What do you think he was yesterday? What percent healthy? 60, 60, 60% on his ankle, maybe. Yeah. He was great, though. God, he's great. He's really, he, you know, he's got a good arm. Oh, he's got an arm. That's for sure. Um, he can swing it. I like Kansas City. <laughs> I like Kansas City unless all of those receivers are out. I mean, you got to get, you know, Smith Schuster, you know, Hardman. And Tony back. You got to get a couple of those guys back. You can't go. I mean, I don't know what they had out there at times in the game. Andy Reid joked. He said we had tight ends playing receivers. We had receivers playing tight ends, uh, playing the tight end spot. Um, it worked. Whatever it was, I just I don't know. There's something about the Chiefs, and I'm I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan, and I, and I you know it's I'm, I'm not rooting against the Eagles. It has nothing to do with that. I just think the Chiefs will figure out a way to score against Philly. I'm I'm not doubting that. I just think it's going to be tough for Kansas City's defense to shut down Hurts, who's going to be healthier. Yeah. And with the weapons that they have and and it's it's a little bit different when you're dialing up pressures to get to Burrow, even with the understanding that yeah, we gotta cover three dudes downfield that are pretty tough dudes to cover downfield. But now we got to cover three dudes that are still pretty tough dudes with the Eagles receivers downfield with the idea that the quarterback can really run. Not just, and Burrow can run, but he can really run. I think it's going to be tough for Kansas City's defense. So I like Philly in a close game as of right now. This can change. We keep talking about it. But I think the line's right. And I think that Kansas City will struggle with Philly. It's just, I'm not sure where their offense will be at this point. We'll know more in a week. I thought Kansas City was going to be favored. I really did. I'm, I was actually surprised. I thought Kansas City was going to be, you know, somewhere between two and, and three-point favorites in this game. Um, good job, by the way, today. And I appreciate you making yourself available, even though you did tell me, hey, I, I didn't watch a lot of the 49ers second half. <laughs> you didn't have to. <laughs> no, you didn't have to. Right. Appreciate you. Having me on your show, your, oh. little, your little program. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your show. All right, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. See you. All right, uh, we'll finish up the show with Ben Standing next. We'll get into Eric Bieniemy as a possible offensive coordinator in Washington. Also, Rex Ryan yesterday on the pregame shows suggested that Sean Payton and Tom Brady might end up in Washington. You'll hear what he said. We'll react right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. He's going to go all the way unless Blackwood can catch him and he can't. January 30th, 1983, Super Bowl 17, the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California. Fourth down and one, I write 70 chip, and the rest is history. John Riggins' 43-yard touchdown run to give Washington a lead that they would not relinquish is the most memorable play in franchise history. Riggo won the MVP in that Super Bowl, rushing for 166 yards to cap off an incredible four-game playoff performance. The Redskins were world champions, and I've got a lot more on this game that I want to get into, but I'm not going to do it today. We just have too much with the two games yesterday and with some of the news on the current team that I will save this for another day this week. But I've already gone back. I've watched the game. I've cut up some highlights, some Dick Enberg, Merle Olson highlights from the NBC call. I don't have the Herzog, Sonny Sam call without the NFL Films music being over top of it. So you'll hear it as it was actually called uh, on NBC. A lot of the key plays in the game, including a couple of big plays from our good friend, Richard Doc Walker, and a play that I don't think a lot of you remember. And if replay existed, I think the result of the game may have stayed the same, but there would have been an opportunity for it to have ended differently. So I will get to that either tomorrow with Tommy or probably more likely than not on Wednesday. Uh, But uh, if you know this team, And I'm not even sure you needed to be alive for this. But if this is your team and this is who you've rooted for your entire life, you know Rigo, 4th and 1, January 30, 1983, 40 years ago today, their first world title. Uh, This segment of the show is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. And my bookie will double your first deposit all the way up to a thousand bucks. Philly minus one and a half right now at my bookie in Super Bowl 57 out in Glendale, Arizona. All right, I'm going to bring Ben Standig on right now. But before Ben and I get into a conversation about Eric Bieniemy, I want Ben to react, and I will also, to this Rex Ryan report. I guess we could call it, from yesterday's ESPN pregame show talking about the possibility of Sean Payton landing in Washington with new ownership and Tom Brady coming as well. Here's what he said. Brady, this is why I say it could happen. There's a strong possibility that there's going to be a change in ownership. All right, And when that happens, these owners aren't tied in to that coach. And, and to me... I can see a Sean Payton, Tom Brady. We talk about Miami. Well, let's just 
the Miami contact and Brady, it was the Sean Payton, it was going to be that marriage of those two. So I could possibly see that down the road. I mean, if he doesn't sign with the Raiders immediately, I could see this as a possibility. Rex Ryan yesterday saying Sean Payton, Tom Brady to Washington, a possibility. Uh, Jaws hit the ground when he said that from the people sitting around the table. Now, I think I know where this stems from. Uh, And with that, I'll bring Ben Standig onto the show. Ben, of course, with The Athletic. Uh, You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standig. Listen to Ben's podcast wherever you get a podcast. It's called Standig Room Only. I think this all stems from, now it could be Rex with his own sources, but I think it all sort of stems from a tweet last week. It was actually a retweet, a quoting of a retweet by Diana Russini. Diana, formerly of Channel 4, uh, broke a lot of stories when she was in town. I love Diana. She comes on the radio show a lot, has been on the podcast before, um, has worked for ESPN now for several years. She tweeted or retweeted a guy by the name of Jeff Duncan who covers the Saints in New Orleans. Jeff put out a tweet last week updating everybody on Sean Payton. Sean Payton completed his interview with Caroline on Monday, met with Arizona officials on Thursday, has a second meeting with Denver that's been delayed, yada, yada, yada. Uh, New Orleans, by the way, very interested in the Sean Payton story because they're going to get compensation, the Saints will, from whomever hires Sean Payton. So Diana Russini retweeted this Jeff Duncan update on Sean Payton and added the following, quote, I was told there is also a team waiting in the wings, watching all of this, all of this meaning Sean Payton and where he's going to go, and she continues, and could make a move if they get their ducks in a row, closed quote. Again, Diana retweeting the Sean Payton update from the guy in New Orleans and writing, I was told there's also a team waiting in the wings watching all of this and could make a move if they get their ducks in a row. So, you know, others, including Colin Cowherd from Fox Sports, has the show on Fox Sports, he did a whole segment on Diana Russini's tweet and said he believes that Washington is the sleeper for Sean Payton. Now, why do I bring up Colin Cowherd? Because Sean Payton has made a weekly appearance on the Colin Cowherd show this season as he's worked for Fox as an analyst. So Diana Russini with Washington Ties doesn't mention a name, but mentions, you know, a team that might be out there waiting in the wings if they get their ducks in a row, like maybe a team that is going through an ownership change right now. Cowherd runs with it, and then you heard Rex Ryan from yesterday. So, Ben, um, is there even a remote possibility that this could happen in your mind's eye? Well, yeah. Uh, so I saw this yesterday, and I guess to be honest, it just went right, right, right out of my brain because I wrote a story yesterday that was one up this morning, in which, like you know, you've asked me in the past, and others have as well. Like, well, who are they going to get a quarterback to, to compete with Sam Howell or whatever? And so I decided to do, like do the actual exercise, and I went through every team and I projected who their starter was and this that, and the other, and I tweeted it out a few minutes ago. And the, like, the first comment I got on Twitter was, 
I came here expecting to see talk about Tom Brady and Sean Payton, and you're throwing cold water on with Andy Dalton. Um, <laughs> really? Is that I, what you – oh, yeah, I'm looking I, at it right now. You just put this out literally minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, I I, I I didn't say anybody in particular. I just sort of said, all right, if all these things play out, here's what, what they're looking at. But uh, I don't know. I mean, look, the, the basic takeaway for this organization right now is major uncertainty across the board because of the ownership deal, right? I mean, we don't know if he's definitively selling. We don't know if he does sell who's buying. We don't know how long it would take for any of that to happen. Um so it, I don't know how one can project something to this magnitude. It's one thing to project even something like, will they go after, say, a Derek Carr, right, or a Jimmy Garoppolo, something that could cost them some money. You know, that that in and of itself could be hard to, to do for them if the budget issues are there or Dan Snyder is just like, nah, we're not going to spend or whatever. Um but if it's like a new owner scenario that's coming in and, and that's where this is all stemming from, I mean, sure, you could tell me anything. I don't know who the owner would be. And that guy, that person, we know owners often want to come in and make them big splash. And getting Sean Payton would be by itself that exactly that. And then, of course, getting Tom Brady would be that times, you know, 50. But, like, I, I mean, I just have no idea how anybody could – assume that or make that kind of a claim or guess even where we are right now would be fun, but I, I just don't know how we could get there. Yeah, I think I pretty much agree with almost everything that you said. I think for me, I think what I'm confident in is I'm confident that Dan and Tanya are selling the team or selling at least a controlling stake in the team. I think actually they're selling every last cent of equity in the team. As I mentioned here, I don't know, a week ago, I was told that they are resigned to the fact that from a financial standpoint, they really have to sell the team. You know, they can't build a stadium on their own. They've got debt as it relates to buying out their former minority shareholders. And that's what I'm confident in. He could change his mind. I'm concerned about that. He's impulsive as hell, but I'm confident in in the, the sale process moving forward and that this is where we're headed, thankfully. And that's the best news that we've had around here in years. Um, what I don't know anything about, and I don't think many people do, except for the people that are working on this deal for Bank of America and the Snyders and the bidders, is who really is in position to buy the team and maybe a front runner. And then by extension, are those people, you know, or is that person, are they starting to put together the group that they want to come in and run the team once the deal closes? You know, is it possible that this group out in California, you know, Jose Feliciano and company or Josh Harris or Jeff Bezos, that they've already contacted Sean Payton. They've already contacted, you know, other people to say, you're my first choice if I get this team. And Sean Payton, who would never come to Washington if Dan owned the team, he's already said, I'm only going to go to an organization that has stability in the front office. I'm only going to go to an organization where I can trust ownership, where there's quality ownership. Obviously, he would never come here if Dan continued to own the team. But maybe, just maybe, the you know front runner or one of the front runners has reached out to Sean Payton to say you're my first choice. Will you hang on? I think I'm going to get this team in March. I don't know. Uh, that's the part that we just don't know. 
Anyway, uh, something to keep an eye on. Um, although, personally, I think Sean Payton, and he made a, a statement yesterday that he thinks a lot of the coaching stuff will start to get resolved at the end of this week, as in you know the interim week between the championship games and the Super Bowl. I bet by the end of this week he's got a job somewhere, and it's not Washington. That would be my wager. Um, anyway, before we before I let you run, because I, I and I appreciate you jumping on. Ben's getting ready to get onto a plane to go to Mobile for the Senior Bowl this week, uh, so he will be on radio with me multiple times this week, so you can hear his updates on Senior Bowl activity on the Team 980. But let me just ask you about Ian Rappaport's um, report yesterday about Washington having key interest in Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, um I yeah, I confirmed that aspect of it that uh, you know they are um interested in looking at him uh in him and a lot of course comes down to when is he available and of course Kansas City advanced to uh, the Super Bowl so we'll see when the enemy would would even give give interviews. Um I, you know when the, the day after Scott or the day that Scott Turner got fired, I was tasked by my my uh company to, to write like, you know, here's potential candidates, right? And one of the names I put on my list was Eric Bieniemy. N- not because I, I, you know, heard or heard at that moment in time that there was an interest, but, and, and it doesn't even make sense in, in a certain way, right? Like, why would you got, why would a guy with an offensive coordinator title take a lateral job by, by, by definition, but then do it going from Mahomes in Kansas City to coming here, and we're going with the uh, dig up coming here under the current circumstances with Ron Rivera, the uncertainty of, of his future with this ownership stuff as we're discussing, and so on. The, but 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 the more I thought about it, the more it actually kind of made sense to me on all levels. In that there you know there's there's a few reasons as to why the enemy has struggled to get a uh, head coaching job in this league. And what are those reasons? The race has been a well, I mean, I don't know how much degree race is a factor, but obviously that's been discussed a lot as you know the continued conversation around the league about the lack of minority head coaches. But I think mean, also in his case, he has uh, struggled in some of his interviews, and I think the biggest reason is he doesn't call the plays. Andy Reid, it's, Andy, it's an Andy Reid offense. Andy Reid is you know front and center of the whole thing. Now, I'm not saying the enemy is standing on the side twiddling his thumbs, but you know. He's not a he's not a play caller. So taking him on, um, you know, I, I think that's it's not as much of a slam dunk the way that people would make it out when you're when you're typically talking about the, you know the standard offensive coordinator profile. But that's why coming here would be interesting because in this case it would be the same title, but he would you know, presumably be calling the plays. And then you factor in Ron Rivera reveres Andy Reid. So if Andy Reid's putting in a good word here, obviously Sir Rivera knows the enemy to at least to some degree, having been around the league for a while. Um, you know, I, I could see that perspective making some sense, and also from like Rivera's end. You know, look, he's not going. It doesn't appear he's going to be able to make a big splash at quarterback. And other than you know, re-signing Durant Payne, who knows what other kind of big splash that they'll make personnel-wise. But getting the enemy. Would be, you know, on the surface, kind of a feather in his cap, right? It would be um, a, a big name that would that would that would come here, or a guy who's been constantly discussed as a head coach candidate. So, you know, I think from that perspective, it could make sense 
for 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 Ron as well. So that to me is where this stems from. Whether he would be good hire, uh, you know, who, who can say for sure? Until you have the job, we don't know. He was the OC at Colorado, his alma mater, for a couple of years, and I would encourage anybody who wants to go look up how that, those offenses did, don't do it um, on on a, on a full stomach. It's not pretty. Uh, so, like I would, you know, so based on that, that could be another reason why teams are, are hesitant because the one time he had a chance to do this, it didn't work at all. But at the same point, that's a long time ago when he's been with Andy Reid. And, you know, obviously if he keeps getting interviewed for head coaching jobs, regardless of not getting them, there's got to be something to his candidacy. Uh, and that's why it kind of makes sense for him here. Yeah, something hasn't been right with him. Um, I, you know, I don't subscribe to the theory as it relates to enemy that he hasn't been hired because of the color of his skin. There have been other black coaches that have been hired for jobs that he has interviewed for in recent years. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a problem um, in the NFL uh, with the hiring uh, from a head coach standpoint. Um, minority candidates. I'm just saying that I think there's something more to the B enemy thing. And look, the bottom line is, you know, he's been on these one-year deals. Um, he, like you said, he doesn't call plays. He's in his fifth season as an OC. Um, and he's totally overshadowed by Andy Reid, as, you know, Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson were uh, as well. Um, I think, you know, his best chance is to uh, is to leave Andy Reid and go to a place where he can design game plans and call plays and have success. And then, you know, he'll have an opportunity. I don't know what the reasons are, Ben. Maybe it's that he doesn't interview well. Um, I, I don't know, but something something isn't, you know. I'll, I'll tell you what. If he comes here and he interviews and he doesn't get the job here, with it being described, with him being described as a key candidate, if not, you know, I don't want to use the word leading candidate, but a, you know, one of the potential front runners, then it really says something because this is an organization that is, that they've hung their hat now pretty much with every press opportunity on being the most diverse and the most inclusive organization in the NFL. So, um, I don't know if Eric Bieniemy would make a good offensive coordinator or not. I have no clue, uh, and maybe uh, maybe the teams that interviewed him as a head coach kind of feel. By the way, you're right. Uh, I pulled up the Colorado stuff. Ain't pretty. They were not a they were not a very good team uh, with him there. Um, but I just I don't have any clue about Eric Bieniemy personally. I actually really still feel that ultimately. It's Zampezi or Shermer because of cost. Um, and that, um, you know, by the way, I would also say to you, Ben, how about this? Just, you know, off of the Rex Ryan stuff. Imagine if they just name Zampezi the interim offensive coordinator, that that's the only thing that Snyder lets them do. That would be suspicious because it would raise the possibility that Snyder is expecting maybe uh, the new owner to clean house. Um, so I, I, I talked about this on my podcast the other day. I've been told that some of the assistant coaches are still waiting on their new contracts. 
There now, I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know that that means it could just be procedural. Um, you know, I don't know, but it is, it feels a little bit odd in the sense that what, what's, what, what, what are they waiting for? Now, of course, if there is a new OC and it's an outside hire, that person could presumably bring in some of their own staff. That would be a pretty normal thing. So perhaps that's what this is. But there's also, like you just said, maybe, I don't know, maybe Dan Snyder is sort of telling everybody that pulled on, we're not doing anything for the moment until I have more clarity on what's going on on my end. So Yeah, maybe Chris, Har- maybe Chris Harris left because of that reason, and maybe no one else has left because of that reason, because there hasn't been any interest in those people. Um, I think all by, of... By the way, Chris, ha- Chris Harris has left without, without actually taking another job. He has not actually... They have not announced him as Tennessee's new coach, and there's still been this notion that he might be getting a defensive coordinator looks from somebody else. So basically, he's he's leaving with the Tennessee job as a, as the as the uh, safety school, I guess. But like he's just leaving. Like you know, they still haven't said he actually got a job, but he's apparently out. You know what is interesting? It's January thirtieth, and we still have all of these openings. There there was a time when all of this was solved. By now, teams are definitely taking more time in this process than they used to. They're, for whatever reason, they don't feel rushed. All right, to the quarterbacks uh, thing that you wrote. So who are the two that Washington lands on? Well, I, I guess I would just say this, like to, you know, to, to have people understand what I was doing and have them hopefully go go check it out. You know, when I come on here or other shows or, or just talk to myself and there's a question of who's, who are they likely to get, you know, it always comes down to some sort of, oh, we'll just name Andy Dalton or we'll just name Jacoby Brissett or somebody like that. And look, I, I'm not going to like you know pretend those aren't guys he would rank high on the list. But my point was that like, all right, well, let me go through the actual exercise. What teams actually, you know, who, what teams are good? What teams are probably good? Where is the question marks? And then who's left? And what what what's the likely scenarios there? And then what happens? And um, I do this kind of every year. And I, you know, to me, this is a, this is a good exercise. Now, of course, no matter what scenario I came up with, things could shake up. The snow globe could look differently in a week or two. But, you know, if you presume Aaron Rodgers is headed to the Jets, that Tom Brady is not staying with Tampa, maybe he lands with the Raiders. And then kind of, you know, you see which teams have the high draft picks and have quarterback needs and go from there. And I think my general point is independent of, like, saying, I didn't, like, say, well, they're definitely, this means they're going to get – Andy Dalton or Jacoby Brissett. It is to point out, though, that like most of the other scenarios seem fairly obvious in terms of the likelihood. Meaning, the Colts have the fourth pick; they are likely to take to draft a quarterback, right? Um, the 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 Raiders, in, if they're getting rid of Derek Carr, they seem likely to to get another veteran. Though they do have a high pick of the draft as well. I think Washington is one of the few teams where they're kind of in the worst of all worlds in that. They pick 16, so you could take a quarterback, but it feels like the top four guys will be gone by then. They could be at a veteran, but again, I mean, who are they going to get? I mean, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe, but that would mean spending some money, and it doesn't feel at the moment like that's going to happen. And I think that's sort of, and then even when you get down to the Daltons of the world, you know, you got to remember that, like, say, for example, the Arizona Cardinals. They they're not in the quarterback market in terms of a long term investment, but they don't have a quarterback right. for next year because Kyler Murray is um, 
is down. So, you know, how aggressive are they going to be looking for for someone? And then, you know, a team like, say, even the Colts I mentioned, are, are, you know, they, they may draft a quarterback at, at number four. Are they starting that guy day one, or are they going to get their own, you know, Andy Dalton, Jacoby Brissett, et cetera? So uh, even like Carolina, by the way, right, they just – Carolina has a top ten pick. They just hired Frank Reich, and Frank Reich coached Jacoby Brissett in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, we always like to put these things together when we talk about this, our team, this team here. So why not do it for another, for somewhere else? So I guess my point is, like, even saying Andy Dalton or Jacoby Brissett, like, that's the fallback, not necessarily. And that's why this whole Sam Howe thing is so interesting, because how much, is there, how much do they really believe this? How much do they really believe that they're willing to go into the into the offseason, into the towards training camp with Sam Howell and somebody else at quarterback? That and and if 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 they're not, then how you know where can they get some help? And I I think I, I don't I don't know if I see a lot of outs for them. Is my point based on the current circumstances? They almost have to hope to a degree that the Daltons and Brissett are available. Yeah, I mean. Again, I'll say what I said to you, I think, last week. I think if they, if Andy Dalton had been the quarterback in Washington this year, they would have gone to the postseason. They would have been a, they would have won at least one more game. And I think if Aaron Rodgers had been the quarterback, they would have won three or four more games. Um, but uh, that probably won't happen, although Aaron Rodgers clearly is on uh, you know the verge of potentially being traded if you believe the reporting over the weekend. Um, all right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Read Ben at The Athletic. Follow him, follow him on Twitter and listen to his outstanding podcast, Standing Room Only. Uh, ben is headed to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Uh, I will talk to you on radio this week. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Ben Standing, everybody. Uh, two quick things to finish up the show. Number one, uh, the Wizards have won five in a row. I'm not going to spend much time on them. I'm just going to tell you they're fun to watch. They're not even completely healthy. They're beating teams that they should be beating, but that's something that they never used to do. They're in a pretty solid spot right now if you want them to make the playoffs. I'm not sure I do, um, but uh, they are playing really good basketball right now. Uh, we'll see if it lasts. Um, Bradley Beal still drives me nuts sometimes. I just don't understand the turnover problem that he seems to have. And he closed out the Pelicans the other night at the end of the game with some really good offensive possessions and scores. But nobody gives the ball away more uh, without kind of being forced to than Beal does. He's done it his whole career. Somebody eventually has to coach him up on it. He's a great scorer. I, I, I concede that. A great scorer, and I love the way he goes after it now at the end of games, wanting the ball, wanting to close out the games. But anyway, the Wizards have won five in a row. That's enough on them. Maryland has won three of four. Their only loss was to Purdue. They nearly, you know, they were right there with Purdue a week ago Sunday. They annihilated Nebraska, an injured team, not a very good team at home on Saturday. And tomorrow night at home, they've got Indiana, who's won five in a row. I would, I would assume Indiana is going to be ranked uh, again today when the rankings come out, if they haven't already. Look for, just a quick guess, Maryland to be the favored team tomorrow night. Would not shock me at all. Uh, these are the kinds of games the public will be all over Indiana, the experts will be all over Indiana, and then neighbor Nick, Tim Murray, Steve Sands, Neighbor Nick will say, how is it that Indiana's ranked and they've won five in a row and they're an underdog in College Park? 
Look for Maryland to be pick them plus one, minus one, somewhere in that range. It's going to seem too short, and they're going to win the game tomorrow night. Uh, I'm looking forward to that this week. Lots of time to get uh, Super Bowl discussion in over the next week and a half. Tommy will be with me tomorrow, and I am going to take some time, I'm not sure when, to go through the 40-year anniversary of Super Bowl Seventeen. All right, uh, sorry for getting the show out late today, uh, but I will be back tomorrow with Tommy. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company, serving collectors since 1945.